Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Each week on this show, we cover topics that help software entrepreneurs, developers, designers, people who want to launch a product into the software space and ultimately gain the freedom from their full-time job and even be ambitious beyond that. It's not just about lifestyle, having a sustainable lifestyle and, and maintaining relationships. That's all important. But a lot of the founders that, that listen to this show and that come to MicroConf are folks that are ambitious but not willing to sacrifice their life or their health to grow their company. We have many different show formats. Sometimes we do interviews. We answer a lot of listener questions. We have founder hot seats. But over the past 465 episodes, we have followed a lot of stories. We followed stories of folks in the MicroConf community. We have followed the stories of myself and Mike Tabor. And if you're a new listener, Mike has been on the show since the beginning, but now he comes on about once a month and updates us on his progress as he's doubling down and focusing on his software product called BlueTick. And in this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, we get a Blue Tick update from Mike Tabor. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 465. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing startups. Whether you've built your fifth startup or you're thinking about your first. I'm Rob, and today with Mike, we're going to share our experiences to help you avoid the mistakes we've made. Thanks again for coming back. We're going to be talking with Mike here in just a minute. Before we dive in, I had a couple things I wanted to mention. First is, if you haven't already left a review on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, would really appreciate you logging in, clicking that five star. We got a recent review from Josh Christ, and he says, the real experience of bootstrapping. This show absolutely rocks. If you're bootstrapping a company, thinking about starting a company in the future, or just curious to understand what it really feels and looks like to start a company without outside funding, this is a must listen. Thank you, Rob and Mike. So thank you so much for that review, Josh, and would love to hear a review from you as a listener if you feel like you've gotten value out of the show, or you don't even need to do a full review, you can click the five stars and that helps new people discover us. We have, I believe it's 354 five-star reviews that actually contain text. And then we have another two or 300 that are just people uh, rating us. And But I can't seem to find the numbers anywhere. So uh, there, it's hard to get worldwide numbers. And there was an app I was using that, that stopped working. So I, I think we're in the like 600 to 700 range of reviews. And I, I would love to just add a few more this week. Uh, I haven't mentioned them in a while. And if you can be obliged to click that five star, we'd really appreciate it. Next item on the agenda is MicroConf Minneapolis is April 19th to 23rd and tickets will be going on sale very soon in the next, I'll say week, maybe two tops. So if you are interested in potentially coming to Growth or Starter, Minneapolis, late April, head to microconf.com and get on that email list. The other thing I wanted to mention is the State of Independent SaaS Report, which I record a little mini episode, a half episode that I put in the feed last week. That survey is live right now, and it's only live for another couple days after this recording. So if you're able to head over to stateofindiesass.com, I didn't do independent because it's so long and hard to type, and I got tired of typing it. So stateofindiesass.com, that takes you right to the survey, and that will help yourself and your fellow independent SaaS companies because we're going to try to get a bunch of metrics together and put out this microconf state of independent SaaS report. You can listen to the short episode I recorded if you want the full details on that. But um, that's only open for another couple days. And then we're going to start data crunching and uh, start working on that report. 
And with that, let's dive into today's conversation with Mike. Mike, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks. How you doing? Hey, I'm pretty good. It's good to, good to hear your voice, man. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. It's been like been like a month. Has it been? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess so. I think so. Not between, yeah, the episodes are about four weeks apart. So, and we record, yeah, I don't know, a couple days before. So yeah, I think it's been somewhere in the three or four week range. I kind of lose track of time when I'm not like doing this, like talking to people, you know, like, you know, obviously I haven't talked to you really like other than email, but like there are certain things that used to be on my schedule that are no longer on my schedule. And I used to use those as like benchmarks for like, as time passes and I don't really have as much of that anymore. So I kind of lose track of like even just what day of the week it is sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And, and I think, I mean, I think like not being on social media, I'm guessing you're not reading a bunch of news all the time. You're trying to keep distraction free. You just kind of don't, you know, you don't get it. I mean, that's part of being an entrepreneur too. I think not having, if you didn't have kids, you would really forget what day of the week it is. Oh yeah, totally. Right? Like, cause just cause they have to go to school five days a week. So other than that, I would just completely lose track of time, I think. Right. I remember when I was, it was before our kids were in school and I was just working on my stuff solo, maybe with contractors and a holiday would come up, you know, whatever, it was Labor Day, Memorial Day. And I'd just be like, oh, is that, are people taking that off today? Why, you know, it just out of the blue, like I was not paying attention to any of that stuff. There was no vacation schedule. Yeah. Sometimes the, the kids will have a vacation for something. I'm like, why do they have Monday off? What are you talking, well, like, what is, what's going on here? And then, you know, like, it's like, oh, it's a federal holiday or something like that. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I just don't even notice most of the time. And I think that's a direct result of working for yourself and not having to go into an office. Because otherwise, if you're working for somebody else, then your schedule is theirs. And it's like, they kind of tell you when you don't have to come in. So you're looking forward to those days versus when you're on the other side of the fence, when you're trying to get things done days off doesn't I'll say really mean a whole lot to you and in fact it's sometimes a little bit more disruptive than it would be otherwise yeah especially if you're kind of in a flow like a a day-to-day or week-to-week flow I think that's a big thing I mean to touch on it like you know flexibility is is what you're talking about it's like the flexibility to take a day off when you need to or the flexibility to work on a holiday and have it really move the needle comes back to it circles back to what what I believe is kind of a big motivator for you you know in being an entrepreneur yeah, I feel like having kids though, like it does tend to screw that up a little bit because, like, if they have a day off, then they, their expectation is that you do as well. So I think that that throws a wrench in it to some extent. Yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah, we have some stuff to to resume from our last conversation, whatever it was, three or four weeks ago. I have some notes here I'll work from to kind of remind us where we're headed, but I am super curious how your sleep has been. Cause obviously that has, to, you know, over the course of the last several years, that has tended to be a big source of, of ups and downs that when you're sleeping well, it's easier to, easier to have a positive outlook, easier to find motivation. And when you're not, you know, that can, that can negatively impact it. I would say up until about a week ago, my sleep was pretty good, but then I screwed up my shoulder. So my, I almost always sleep on my left side and I screwed up my left shoulder at the gym. So it's sore. It's not like overly painful, not enough that like I would feel the need to go to the doctor and have them take a look at it. Cause they're just going to say, Oh, don't lift as much weights or whatever. <laughs> Cause I've had, I've done that before. And like my, I've messed up that shoulder and it's just a recurring thing that kind of comes up once in a while. So, but because I sleep on that side, you know, it has a tendency to wake me up. It's my sleep's gotten better over the past day or two, but for probably three or four days, it was pretty messed up. And how, did that impact you during the day? Did it impact your productivity? 
Oh yeah, totally. Like I, you know, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and then I couldn't get back to sleep. And then, you know, of course the cascade of thoughts of throughout the course of the night, it's like, all right, here we go again. But it's gotten better the past day or two. Oh, good. Glad to hear that. So then, I mean, I guess that, that kind of leads into motivation, which is something I'll probably be asking you about every time we talk is like, I'll, I'll put it this way. Over the past several years, you've seen times of extremely high motivation and extremely low and, and a lot in between. What has the last month felt like, look like for you? I wouldn't say it's been really high, but I wouldn't say it's been super low either. It's one of those, you know, like middle of the road, things are just kind of plodding forward and I wish things were going faster, but at the same time, it just kind of takes longer to get certain things done than I would like, you know? So for example, like I've got the Google security audit that's coming up where, you know, it's just sucking up a ton of my time for something that I know is just not going to make a meaningful impact in my business other than the fact that it's going to allow me to continue to be in business. So I would say it's detrimental to have to be doing those things, which sucks, but it's like you have to take the good with the bad and you have to do those things too. So, Right. I feel the Google security audit is the slog. That's exactly how I would describe it. It's like the stuff you don't want to be doing, but that you really, in your case, you kind of have to to stay in business. How much of your time is that taking? So there's two different sides of it. There's a There's documentation and then there's like the technical audit itself. So for the technical side of it, that's not scheduled until I think the 28th. It's basically the week after MicroConf Europe because they asked me like, you know, hey, when would this fit into your schedule? And they wanted to know if I had any vacations or breaks or anything like that where I wouldn't be in contact with them. And uh, I said, look, you know, this really has to start after this date. And they said, okay, well, we'll schedule it for that. And in the meantime, there's all this documentation that we've got to get gathered. And it's all like processes and procedures and things like that, which are kind of I'll say a kind of a waste of time because really like all these things are stuff that I would be doing anyway. It's just, they want it documented. It's like, okay, well, what do you do if this happens? Or what do you do if that happens? Or how is this handled and how is that handled? And they just want to review everything to make sure that, I don't know, I guess you're doing a good job, so to speak, but it's, I don't know, in my mind, it's kind of all a bunch of paperwork for the sake of having paperwork. It feels like dealing with the government, to be honest. Yeah, it feels to me like PCI or GDPR or, you know, where it's just a bunch of reams of docs that sit in a filing cabinet figuratively or literally. And I agree with you there. That It totally sounds like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of describing that it's a slog, yeah, absolutely. And it sucks because it's like there's a lot of documentation. And they said flat out that this is going to be the bulk of the effort and the most time consuming part. And because it's a different team, it doesn't kind of count towards this technical side of things. Hopefully I can get most of that or all of it taken care of before they start the technical stuff. And then when they do that, then they'll do like penetration testing and black box testing and all these different things to try and make sure that the application itself is secure. And then if anything comes up, then I have to address those issues. And assuming that everything's okay at the end of the, you know, the technical audit, then they'll give me kind of the stamp of approval and I can immediately send it to Google. But I think that some of that's contingent upon like them receiving the final check and everything else as well. So, but it's just, I don't know, it's a slog. It sucks. Yeah, it sounds like it. What's the timeline on that? Like, is this a two week thing you'll have this or is it a month? When will this be over? My hope is mid-November. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's another six weeks from when we're recording. Oh, yeah. 
it's that's, that's wild. It's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I should say, you know, as much as we're bagging on on this, I'm guessing that there's a, much like PCI and GDPR, I feel like there's a reason these things exist, but I think 90% of it is unnecessary at our scale. And it's probably 10%. Like if they do penetration testing and they find something that it'll be like, oh, cool, you fix something, you know, or or they might, I don't know. I, I'm guessing there's going to be a couple things that improve your security, a couple out of it, but maybe it's 5% or 10%. But most of it, I think is, as you've said, a huge waste of time. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, like I'm not the type of person to go out and like totally bash on other companies for the way that they're doing things. But Google in this particular situation, I really feel like they just, I don't know, like the, them taking back their don't be evil thing several years ago, which probably like a decade at this point, but all the things that they're doing, I just feel like it's, you know, the, the company itself is really kind of abusing their position to force people to do things in a certain way that in cases like for my app and things that are below a certain scale really don't make a difference. It doesn't make a meaningful impact and it doesn't help the world in any way, shape or form, but they're forcing them to do it for no other reason because they can. It's CYA, right? They're trying to cover their ass for when if there's a breach, they're gonna they're gonna be in the headlines, not you. If there's a breach, they're gonna get called in front of Congress, not you. I guess, but at the same time, it has to do with like the the, the scale of the breach. So, for example, if I have twenty customers and Google has ten billion, like or not 20, 10 billion, let's let's call it you know fifty million for them, and call it fifty for me. The scale between a breach between those two things is very, very different. And forcing me to go through the exact same processes and procedures as Google or somebody of a comparable size just does not make sense. And it's it's just the way it is. And <laughs> I mean, I could, like I said, I, I don't like to bash other people for the way that they're doing things. But I feel like Google, this is just like extortion 101, to be perfectly honest. Like there's no other real way to put it. And how much of your time is, has it been like 20 hours a week you're spending on this? It's probably not quite that much, but things are ramping up as like time goes on because I have to have this basically finished and all the back and forth done probably before microconf, which I leave for that in a couple of weeks. So like the next couple of weeks is that's probably going to be like 30 to 40 hours a week of my time. Yeah, that's tough. So then looking back over the previous month, you, you have had some time. If, if it was 15 hours a week, then you got another, I don't know, 20 hours a week or whatever to, to do stuff. Has this, this kind of stuff, the slog, doing things that I don't want to do, tends to demotivate me. It tends to make me want, I almost have a tough time then transitioning because it sucks the joy out of the day. And I don't, you know, it sucks the good glucose or the joy or whatever it is. And then when I turn to like, well, now I got to write code or I got to market. I have a tough time separating those. Are you this? Are you similar to that, or have you been no. able to? Okay, so it has. This has negatively impacted yeah. your motivation. Then it's, really <laughs> yeah, well, it's not just motivation, but overall productivity. Like, because and I've been trying to figure out ways to kind of segment out my days so that I'm not working on those types of things that are demotivational first thing. Because what I've found is that if I work on some of those things to start the day and then I take a break for whatever reason, the rest of my day is shot. Even if I'm trying to work on other things that would be motivational, I just don't get anything done because my mind is kind of wandering back to like the stuff that I was working on before. That's interesting because I would have, if I were to do it, I would think that since it's the thing that I want to do the least, I would try to get into work, 
drink the coffee, listen to the loud music and hammer through it in an hour or two. So such that I can like breathe and reward myself with a break. And then I can spend the rest of the day working on other stuff. That's kind of how I would mentally approach it. But you're saying that's not, <laughs> it's, it's bleeding over. It sounds like. Yeah, it definitely is. I don't want to say this doesn't factor into it at all, but like I've been talking to my wife about my exercise routine and stuff like that and like, you know, modifying my diet and all these other things. And it's just like, I hate exercising. I hate going to the gym. I hate dieting. Like I hate doing, working on this stuff for the Google security audit. I'm going through some integrations, like third-party integrations and stuff and going through all the fine print and all the other things for that stuff. I can't stand doing that as well. So it's like, I'm kind of stuck in this position where I'm, forced to do all of these things that I absolutely hate doing. And there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's not really like fun parts of the day either. <laughs> yeah, that's, that makes it tough, man. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Honestly, I know, I know exactly what that feels like where everything on your to-do list is <laughs> and you don't want to do any of it. I know what that feels like. And now I'm not in that mode today, but I have been, I have done that and had to deal with it throughout my career. And those are the times where it's like, this has to end soon or, I'm going to burn out. That That's what eventually w will happen. So hopefully you're done in a month, six weeks, because if that part goes away, it's going to be a slog for a month or six weeks. But when that part goes away, it sounds like that could dramatically improve your day-to-day -day kind of working conditions. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping as well. And, uh, you know, I say six weeks, mid-November, that's what I'm hoping it'll be done. But it could theoretically be as late as the end of November, because after the uh, the technical piece of the audit is done, if, it's not, if I don't have everything fixed by the time they've done that, then I have to go fix a bunch of stuff. So, like, they can come back with a report on day one and say, hey, these 25 things are wrong or whatever and need to be addressed. And then I could presumably fix them all that night. And then the next day say, Hey, you can retest this stuff now. And during the course of the actual technical piece, they'll continue to redo those things. But then once the end hits, I basically have 30 days to go back to them and say, okay, all of these other issues are fixed. You can retest it. And then assuming that all of them are fixed, great. If not, or if it exceeds that 30 days, I can request that they retest it, but it is really expensive to have them retest it after that. Got it. So time is of the essence here for sure. So I'm curious, we'll move on from kind of motivation in a minute, but I had this concern, it was either last month or the month before, where I said, I'm concerned about your motivation over the long term. Like, will you be able to stay motivated if flexibility is your only motivation? You know, and you had kind of said, hey, I'm running, am I running away from something, which is a crappy Dilbert job, or am I running towards something? And will that maintain over the long term? The times when that's tested is when you're in the middle of the slog. It's when you're it's when you're not making progress because you said you're, you're motivated by progress, right? And that that motivates you, but you're not. It doesn't sound like you're making a ton of progress right now. When you look out over the next month, do you feel like is it time to just gather all the muster and just push it forward, or are you concerned about what the next month or two months, frankly, might look like? I wouldn't say I'm necessarily concerned about the next couple of months. I'm more concerned about six months or eight months down the road. And the reason for that is because there's all this stuff that needs to be done right now where an example, one of the things that I spent a decent chunk of time on for in advance of this uh, security audit was that there were multiple projects that I have that get deployed to different, you know, URLs and they are largely copies of one another. And I had to merge them together or I wanted to merge them so that there wasn't so much code for them to go through and so that it made sure that everything was consistent between every single API endpoint that I have out there. Because otherwise I wouldn't 
necessarily know. I think that they are, but you just wouldn't have any real way of knowing for sure. So I merged those together and made it so that I've basically got one core API project and then like three others kind of import it and then use it. As opposed to before, I basically had two different separate copies of it. So by spending time on that, like I, I made sure that, and that, and that was, I'll say kind of fun, but at the same time, like those things need to be taken care of. And there's a lot of things that I'm not necessarily holding back from, but I know that I probably can't really get into until after this security audit is over. And that includes like making major changes to the product because I don't want to be in the middle of making a major change and being unable to deploy it and have a diff discrepancy between the code that they're looking at versus the code that's deployed and not being able to push it out because it's in a half completed state. So there's some stuff I just kind of have to hold back on. And until the security audit is over, like those things are just kind of on hold and I don't really have much choice there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. On, on a perhaps related note, is one of those things that, that untestable sealed .NET component that you've been wrestling with for months and you were six months more and you want to work on replacing it, but you don't want to. Is that the idea or you can't? Because yeah, I, I kind of can't because it would involve a pretty major change. Like there's, uh, so here's the part of the issue. The backend data storage system that I have in place to store the emails uses that component as part of a naming convention for everything. So in order to rip it out, I basically have to rewrite it and then have everything imported again from people's mailboxes and then stored in a different format, a different file format with a different naming convention. And that's like just a process that is probably going to take a week. And that's not even testing. <laughs> I mean, so I kind of have to wait until the security audit is over, which again, kind of leads me back to the idea that this whole thing is stupid because I'm basically just trying to get to the finish line here so you guys can do this stuff. So then I can make a bunch of changes to make the app work better. Like what's the whole point? Something that strikes me is that early on, you were most concerned about the cost of the audit. And it turns out the monetary price is not what's taken the most toll on you and on the product, on, on Bluetick. Like it sounds like it's the, it, the motivation and the time that it's requiring. Yeah, it, it absolutely is, which sucks. But, you know, at the same time, it's nice that it doesn't cost me as much in terms of, you know, actual revenue. But at the same time, like I, I'm still going to need to make that up next year. Yep. And so there's other things. Um, I, something you'd mentioned at the end of, of last time we spoke was that you were going to hire someone to help with marketing. Did that happen? And, and how has that been? It did. So I hired somebody to help out with a couple of very specific projects. And the first one that we're kind of just going to be kicking off in the next week or so is a podcast tour. So basically put together a list of podcasts to go take a look at and kind of parse out so that I could get, so like, you know, obviously like being a host of this podcast, you and I get pitched all the time for different things. And sometimes they come across well and sometimes they don't. And it's obvious the ones that don't. And what I'm trying to do is say, okay, well, how can I position myself or pitch in a way that is going to actually resonate with the people who are on the receiving end of it? And so I've basically gone through the process of having the marketing person help out with filtering a lot of those out and deciding what the best pitch or the best way to present it would be for each of those podcasts. Take a look at like the history of each of those. Like if they don't have guests at all, then probably not a great fit. If they do, then well, how many guests do they have? Is it a regular thing? Do they have guests on specific topics? Basically doing a decent amount of in-depth re research there. 
and then start emailing them to see if I can do sort of a podcast tour to get onto those different shows and drive some traffic to Bluetick. And you know, something that I've I've raised a number of times is the the blue tick, the differentiation, right? And I'm bringing that up because if you're not differentiated yet, do you feel like driving more traffic is is worthwhile? And what would that? I guess it's like, are you trying to drive the traffic so that you can get more people using the app to do customer development to differentiate it more? Is that the idea, or is this? Are you really trying to scale the funnel in order to actually get more customers using the product as it is today? Ah, so we're going to discuss the chicken and egg problem here. I know. <laughs> the never end. Well, I guess it ends at some point once you hit product market fit. But yeah, the, the pre-product market fit, never ending circle. Right. I think that, so the, the product itself, I feel like has enough value for the people who would use the current features. Do I, I would agree with you that I don't think that it is differentiated enough from some of the other competitors out there. But I also think that that's okay. If people are out there who have thought of doing email follow-ups in various situations, or they don't even necessarily realize that, hey, I could use email follow-ups in that situation, I just had never really thought about it. I, I feel like if I can get in front of those people and reach them, then that is going to be enough to at least push the the revenue in the right direction. Does it need to solve everything? I don't think so. Is it suboptimal by having a product where I'm going on doing a podcast tour like this where I don't have a product market fit, I don't have a lot of differentiation? Yes, it's absolutely suboptimal. Does that matter? The answer is no. I don't necessarily care about that. If I were to wait until it was the optimal time to go do it, the thing would be worth millions of dollars. And why would I care about doing a podcast tour at that point? Because I've probably outgrown that channel to some extent. So I kind of have to. Yeah. One of the problems you mentioned last time we spoke was that you don't have enough traffic. And I was going to ask about progress. <laughs> you know, had you made progress towards that end? And it sounds like you haven't made direct progress in terms of driving more traffic, but that things are in the works to hopefully drive some from these podcasts. Yes. You know, if I were in your shoes, I like the idea of a podcast tour because A, you're good on the mic. B, it's not very much of your time, especially if you have this other person doing it. And you can just show up and do it and see what the results are. I'm skeptical that it's going to drive enough to move your needle. But given the amount of time that it's going to take, which is not that much, I think it's worth trying. I also think in your shoes, I would consider some short-term stuff by short term, I mean something that gets customers in very quickly, which is cold email. And you have a warm slash cold email tool and you've seen shady cold email and you've seen ethical cold email. You know, we've talked about this in the past. So you could do it in a way that isn't garbage and that, that I think you could feel good about. And you have your own tool, so you don't need to pay for another one. I mean, it's really just finding, you know, the data or the list. But that's a, that's something that can start working. If you can get it, it can create leads now, right, to get more a lot, lot more conversations started. Have you considered that? Yes, I have. And I've already started working in that direction as well. So obviously, you weren't aware of this because we didn't talk about it in advance of the show. But what I did was I went through and I started bucketing a lot of my prospect lists. So I was fortunate enough that I went into LinkedIn before LinkedIn decided that they were going to yank all the email addresses out of the export. So I have like over a 1000 people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn where I have their email addresses. It's actually 
probably it's closer to 900 or so because I went through and sorted them out because there's some that appear in that list that are just like I don't I don't have all the contact information for them or they are duplicated on another list that I have. So by separating those out, I've basically got multiple buckets of people. So there's people who are on that LinkedIn list. There's also people who have signed up for an account in BlueTick, but either never finished the process or they signed up and then they canceled at some point. Then I also have people who I had listed in my Pipedrive account at one point where I was kind of walking them through the process and then they either dropped off for one reason or another. And part of why I built BlueTick was because I didn't feel like Pipedrive helped me as well as it could have. And so I've got those people that are, are tracked there. And then I've also got separate lists for people on like my own personal mailing list. Then I've got people on the BlueTick mailing list as well. And all of those I can reach out to individually through BlueTick. So I've spent quite a bit of time bucketing those people into different lists. And it's a matter of going through those and sending out those basically cold emails, as you call it. I mean, I don't feel like it's quite as cold, but just because we've had some contact in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it's not totally, you're right. It's not totally cold. It's like, it's lukewarm to warm, depending on, you know, who, who you put in there. So that's interesting. What's your timeline for getting that started? Because I think that could move a needle here. Uh, I, I don't know. And this is something I struggle with a little bit because I've got this upcoming Google security audit. And then I've got those, some of those changes that I want to make in order to rip out all the, that .NET component. And let's say that I add, you know, 50 or hundred customers or something like that, or even just 50 trials or hundred trials. Each one of those is going to have mailbox data associated with it. And then assuming that they're still active when I start doing those conversions, it's going to take longer for the data migration to happen. Does that matter as much? Probably not, but it introduces places where things could fail. And having looked at a lot of the stuff that comes out of mailboxes, the more data that's in there, the more likely you are to run into an edge case where there's an expectation that there's a data point there and there isn't and the code crashes and then you have to fix it and then redeploy it and potentially have to basically restart the process, which sucks. So I'm between this rock and this hard place where it's like, I kind of have to do it. I don't really want to, but I may have to just like bite the bullet and just kick it off at some point and hope for the best. Yeah. On this, on this one in particular, I, I think you got to do it. You know, when I think of, of, is it an excuse or is it a valid reason? You know, it's like, I think you and I could come up with probably five reasons why you shouldn't start sending these lukewarm emails. And, and I think that your business is more important than that. I think, I think getting blue tick to, to where it's supporting you full time and, you know, because that's, that's your goal. Like, I think that's more important because if you wait until all this other stuff you've mentioned, a, there's always going to be stuff that you want to get done before you do whatever. But I, I think you're you're months out. You you might you could feasibly be two months out for the audit, and you, you don't really want to do the seal.net component before that's done. Which which I I get as long as the audit keeps sucking up your time. I get. I think the moment that you have enough time, it seems like that that .net component is is really holding things up. And I I just would hate for it to be mid December and have you start doing the cold email you know you're you're two and a half months from now and nobody's buying at that point so then you're into january and it's just a lot that's a lot to push off yeah and i'm i'm feeling like the best case scenario if things go well with a security audit like as soon as that's done that's when i should start sending out those emails 
if it pushes into November, I'm okay with doing it through November, but once December hits, it's time to like basically back off on that and say, okay, let's pause this and let's restart it in January because nothing's really going to move in December. I just don't think that it is. Unless I were to say, hey, you know, you sign up this month and you get an extra two weeks to your trial or four weeks or something like that. You get a six-week trial instead of two weeks. That I could see potentially doing, but aside from that, I agree. Like I don't want, I'm not going to let the, .NET replacement of that .NET component be something that holds up pushing on that side of things for the you know cold outreach, lukewarm outreach, I guess. Right, Ben. But I would say even this this cold outreach, like why wouldn't you just start it this week? What's what's holding you back from doing that? Mostly, I just have to sit down and write the email templates to to send them, and then the big thing that I think holds me back from doing that is that when new customers come on, they typically need a lot of handholding in the early stages, and that's a huge time sink. And if I have that huge time sink, and you know, like as I said, I leave for MicroConf in two weeks, so if I have that coupled with all the documentation and paperwork I'm trying to get together for the Google Security Audit, which I know is going to take a huge chunk of time over the next couple of weeks, like I feel like what's going to end up happening is I'm just not going to be as responsive to these customers. And they're like, well, why did I even give you a chance? And because they're lukewarm relationships, I don't necessarily want to burn personal bridges. Yeah. Could you start with a small number though? You know, could you draft, get these emails drafted, start cold emailing a ridiculously small amount, like 10 a day, you know, normally, I mean, if you're doing cold email campaigns, you're sending thousands a month, to be honest. But if you started sending five a day or 10 a day, so that you had one or two or three prospects in the pipeline. And I know the microconf stuff is a problem and you'll have to communicate that. Or it's not a problem. It's just a, it's, it's a speed bump, right? You'll have to notify the people that you're working with and be like, hey, I'm going to be, I, I do run this conference. I'll be out for a few days. That's a bummer. But I just want to see you move forward with it, I think is how I feel about it with something, you know, because I, again, we can think of reasons why you shouldn't do this until after MicroConf or until after the audit or until after the .NET component or until after Christmas or, you know, and and pretty soon you're in January and you're three and a half months from now. And I I don't want, I don't think that's good for your motivation or, or for the business growth, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. Starting with a smaller group would probably do it. And that would probably, that would at least get the ball started. And then I would have all the, I'll say the whole system in place, so to speak, for ramping it up throughout November. And that's probably a better way to go than just holding off completely. Yeah, that's how I feel about it because because this stuff takes time. Yeah, I, th- I think that the other thing that comes to mind is that as a workaround for people who start to sign on, let's say a couple of days before MicroConf starts, I can email them and say, hey, look, I'm going to be out for the next week. I know you're probably going to need help during this time, but let me do this. Let me extend your trial by another week or two weeks or whatever to help get by that or overcome that just because I know that I'm going to be less available during this time. That is such a roadblock to speed bump email that you just brought up. I love it. And seriously, like you just, you just figured out a way of like, oh, here's an objection and here's, here's something I can do that will probably work perfect. I mean, it really has a low risk of failure. So yeah, that's it, man. Because you know, when you're, when you're building these types of of funnels or these systems or whatever, this stuff takes, it takes a lot longer, not just hours in a day, but a lot more duration in terms of weeks or months to, to get going. And so if you're just start from a cold stop in a month, then you know you're not making any of that progress. If you start very slowly now, you're going to see the bugs and the kinks and the how you can improve and you can kind of tinker with it and low risk, and then you can basically ramp it up when you feel a little more comfortable about it. So 
Awesome. Other ways to, to differentiate, like so I'm in that ma weekly mastermind uh, that I talked to you about, and I'm st still going with that. Like we still talk every week, usually for at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half or two hours. And one of the things that we've specifically talked about is exactly how I can differentiate blue tick. And several things have come up, which I won't go into in detail here just because they lead into directions and they tend to be an extended conversation. But for the most part, like there's several things that I've looked at and said, this would be a fantastic way to go, but it's almost a completely different product at that point. And it's like, eh, I, it sounds nice in theory, but I kind of have to say no to it at that point, just because I'm not building another product at this point, you know? Yeah, it's not even a pivot. It's just a kind of a start from scratch. It would probably be easier to start from scratch at that point. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> On the plus side, you might not need the Google audit. Right, because I've already committed <laughs> to that. And I don't know, I guess. Totally. You know, then you're like, oh, is this a... Sunk cost. Sunk cost. I don't know. No, 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 no. Your, your moment, I would not start. At this point, I mean, you recommitted. I mean, we went through this two months ago, right? Or three months ago, whenever. And it was like, should you keep working on Bluetick? Should you keep being an entrepreneur? And and you went on a retreat and you decided, no, I'm going to do this. you know. And that's not to say you can't pivot Bluetick into something. But if you literally had to start from a new code base, um, if it's that far off from where you are, I, that's it's not the time. you know. Maybe, you'll, maybe you wind up doing that you know, in a year or two, you know, hopefully not, but I don't, I don't think that's the time because you have all this other stuff moving, moving forward now. Right. I think if it were to incrementally go in a direction like that and it's through customer discovery, then great. But like, this isn't really that, I don't think. So at least a couple of the different directions that I thought of, I don't really feel like that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, I mean, that does bring us to, you know, I've come back to this question a lot. Like, do you know how to differentiate? You had mentioned integrations could potentially be a differentiator. And you mentioned just a few minutes ago that you are working on some integrations. So is that is that part kind of moving forward? Yeah, that that part is moving kind of forward. So I've got an integration that I've been working on the past couple of weeks on and off. And um, I'm hoping to have it done and submitted by the end of this week, but we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have to. I kind of come, I've uh, committed in my mastermind group to have absolutely having that done and submitted by the end of this week. So I've got a, another day and a half or so to finish it. But it's close. Did you? I missed it. Did you say who the integration's with? I did not. Okay. All right. Oh, cool. We'll see that. And that's this is the fun stuff is when you're doing things that are covert and that you don't want to say in public because you're worried about whatever, a competitor or whatever. So, and you can announce it. I mean, obviously you'll, you'll announce it in public when it's done, but so you have been making progress then you've been writing code and getting that in place. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Good to hear it. We did say something when I asked about differentiation last time, you said, you know, I need to talk to some of my customers more, kind of ask them, why did they decide to use Bluetick? Like what, what was that decision process to find out if you already have some type of differentiation that that we just ha we just don't know about you know or, or what that what that is why people decide it's kind of like a jobs to be done thing like the switch interview right why did you decide to do this did you have a chance to to do any of that yeah so i talked to a couple of different people and i i still have to get through and go in and take a look at some of the other customers that i have and what i'm trying to do is go through and actually talk to all of them unfortunately some of them are run by like some agencies so like the people running the account are not necessarily the people paying for it so it'd be like they're running three four or five accounts or something like that so 
I'd be talking to the same person for five different quote unquote customers. So I still have to sort out some of those just because I don't necessarily know exactly who all of those people are. But from the conversations that I have had, one of the things that keeps coming up is that like, for example, in BlueTick, you can you can have somebody in multiple sequences at the same time. You can also have, uh, I'm working on making it so that you can add somebody back into the same sequence multiple times. And something else people have been asking for a little bit is being able to add the same person to the same sequence multiple times. And I'm still trying to sort out exactly the the use cases for those. I've got a couple of uh, calls scheduled in the near future to discuss those in a little bit more detail. But from my understanding, those those types of things are not things that any of my competitors can do because they are explicitly geared towards cold outreach. And then once you have got reached contact with somebody once they have responded to an email like they're so hands-off that you literally cannot send them another email so it becomes like that's i feel like that's a differentiator for some of my competitors but probably not all of them yeah that's that'd be interesting we actually got that request with drip and we built since we we weren't cold email obviously it's this warm marketing list but Originally, it was like you could go through a sequence, which we call the campaign. You can go through a campaign once, and you couldn't restart it. And I'm trying, and we did it for a bunch of reasons. Well, a because it, it doesn't often make sense to do that. And there were some kind of really they weren't spammers per se, but there were people that were just doing really shady internet marketing stuff. And they had like a 52 week sequence, and they just if you were still there at the end, they wanted to start it over. And we're like, oh my gosh, I don't want you to do that. But then there were some legit reasons for this, like, hey, I throw an event twice a year. And I have an email sequence that goes out to all the attendees around the event time. And it's the same sequence. In essence, I'm just going to update the dates in the emails. And so I want to start them over with a, with a bulk operation and just be able to, boom, drop people in there. And if they can't go through it again, that doesn't make sense. So there are totally valid use cases for this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's what I found as well. Like like simple things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, like dunning emails, which coincidentally my credit card expires at the end of next month. And in the past two days, I've gotten over a dozen emails saying, hey, your credit card expires at the end of the month. And I'm like, oh God, now I got to go update it in like a dozen different places. But that is one of those cases where adding somebody into a, an email sequence in BlueTick would be a, a prime use case for that. It would be very simple to do that. But the problem is that the, you can't really restart them. So you could do it once and then you'd have to delete them from the sequence and then add them back. So there is a workaround in place right now, but people want the ability to re- basically restart them in the sequence and then also have the same person in the same sequence multiple times. And I'm again, I'm still trying to dig into exactly the reasons behind that. And I've heard from two or three different people that they wanted to do that. Got it. But you want to talk to more customers, you were saying, just to get more, more ideas. Yeah, well, I want, I want to talk to more about the individual use cases for that, because if I understand why it is that they want to do that, then it may dictate how those changes are made inside the code itself. Because, I mean, I could just slap something in there and says, oh, just like restart this person. But then it has an impact on like the data and statistics as well, for example. Like, do you keep track of... Uh, and it also might even impact like so BlueTick goes and when it does a response to an email, it does a threaded response and it includes the text of the previous email that was sent. So if I restart it, then it basically has to be like email one, for example, and it can't include the previous email that was sent in that thread because it shouldn't. 
Yep. Let's talk offline about this because we came up with a solution that may, a technical, it's just too deep in the weeds to go into here, but I'll walk you through. I remember how we designed it and, and we, uh, we'll see if it, if it works for you. Okay. But that's, that's kind of exciting, actually. I'm pleased to hear that there are these things that other tools can't do and that the interesting thing is you can build these as features, but it's almost like how do those bubble up to positioning? You know, how does, not just on the marketing side, but, or I guess n- not just as a feature, but almost like what is that, how does that change your headline like what are you now are you the more ro- most robust one or are all these use cases around specific things that then you become the kind of niche player for you pick a couple verticals that really need repeating and then you just go after those that's that, there's a there's a thread here that i think you know you should you should keep pulling yeah and i mean one of the things that has come up in conversations with one of my customers was the, like they use you know like most people they use a gmail as their email client but it's kind of immaterial which one you actually use but one of the th- thoughts that I have is uh, about how they wanted to use BlueTick was how do they use BlueTick without logging into it? And so the idea would be like, if they're working on their, like, a, let's say that it's a one-off situation. Typically, somebody will send an email from their mailbox and then that's it. They're like hoping that somebody will come back. Whereas BlueTick, the expectation is that the email sequence is kind of launched from inside of BlueTick. And what that use case kind of falls apart if they sort of reply from their mailbox. So there is a way to like create a task inside of BlueTick and then you've got a, an email template that they, it'll pop up a task and you can go in and you can change that first email and then the rest of it is kind of uh, templated. But let's say that there was a way to do that from inside your email client, whether it's Outlook or you know, Office 365 or Gmail. Let's say that there was a folder there called, you know, underscore BlueTick so that it appears right at the top of the list and you dr- you send an email and you drag it over into that and then BlueTick picks that up and says, hey, I've got to, I see that there's this email here. I'm going to essentially add this into a particular email sequence and follow up with it using this first email that that person had as the, you know, original one and then it's going to reply to that email several times until they get a response. And the question is like, how how does that mechanically really work? And I don't know the answer to that yet. But it seems like it's a really good use case. And I think that it would differentiate from the other other things that are out there. Yeah, I hope I hope this pans out, you know, in a way that you can find more people who also have that need. Because that's that's a question mark, of course, right? Is this is this so niche that there aren't gonna be hundreds and or thousands of people that need it? But I think that's TBD and I think that's more conversations and then figuring out how to how to present that to people in your positioning and in your marketing. Yep. Sounds good, man. Well, you know, I, I guess like I would summarize the past month. It sounds like it's been okay, but not great. The Google audit has really kind of thrown a wrench in things and impacted your productivity, but... But it could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse and it has been worse, you know? And so so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy to hear kind of kind of where these threads are going. So let's uh, let's circle up again in, in about a month. And I'm imagining you will either be still in the slog. I'm guessing you'll be hopefully wrapping up the slog of the Google audit, you know, within two to, f- well, no, you'll still have another two to potentially four weeks after that, actually. It's just going to be a 45 minute recording of a solid, continuous profanity beep. That's all it's yeah. going to be. <laughs> That's going to be. Well, hey, Mike, welcome back to the show. And then it just kicks off. Yep. And then I do an outro. Thanks again. Thanks, Mike, for coming. So, yeah, man, I hope, I hope things go well over the next month and uh, we will catch up with you soon. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. I always enjoy my conversations with Mike and, of course, wish him well over the next month of slogging through the Google audit. 
We know that Mike has some challenges ahead of him with Blue Tick, not just this audit, but in continuing to prove out the market and differentiating Blue Tick. A lot of work to be done, but it is nice to hear that he has continued to be productive since our last conversation. We'll catch up with Mike again in about a month. And if you have a question for the show, whether it's for me or a guest, leave us a voicemail at 888-801-9690 or email questions at startupsfortherestofus.com and you can attach an MP3, send a Dropbox link, or just send text. Our theme music is an excerpt from our Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. If you're not already subscribed to us, you should search for startups in any podcatcher of your choice. And you can visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.